I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. I have to admit, the Open Championship has somehow snuck up on me. Uh, I feel like I've been very busy with the U.S. Women's Open, and all of a sudden, we're here. We're basically on the eve of the Open Championship. So I wanted to get a little debrief on on the golf course. It is. Uh, I haven't been to Royal Liverpool, full disclosure. It's, um, you know... Honestly, I was thinking through it. It might be the the last time that I'm ever haven't been to a uh, major championship course uh, beforehand. So this is maybe be the last one where we won't have firsthand takes. So one of the things I wanted to do was get some firsthand knowledge. Uh, our guest today is Jasper Miners. Uh, he is the man behind Evaluate18.com. It's a golf course architecture website. He's also doing some consulting work on some projects in the UK. Um, Jasper has a very good architecture mind and is uh, quite knowledgeable on Royal Liverpool. So it was a pleasure to speak with him about it. Uh, and I'm uh, I'm really, really amped up. As I've dove into the course, I've gotten more and more excited. I think, uh, you know, one of the things with the open rota is you get these unique challenges. And I think Royal Liverpool, you look at the winner's a lot of great names, you know, Peter Thompson, Tiger, Rory, uh, among many others, but, you know, a lot of great names, a very interesting uh, history, you know, where the golf course is constantly being changed, which is which is unique. But I think there's some some nice characteristics to it. Um, it is it is absolutely a test. You got to be you got to drive the ball well, I think, um, just from kind of my early digging into it and you've got to be really smart with your tee shot. It's not just driving it far, but it's also just being smart with it. Um and I I love the back nine stretch where you get some really beautiful dunes land. Um and I think kind of uh a little bit more dramatic. I think the the front nine's kind of flatter. And uh, that back nine gets into some nice dunes land. So we'll talk way more about this. Uh, I will have a preview podcast with uh, Kyle Porter that will go up on Sunday. So that'll be up in a couple days. And that will be kind of an open preview. I know I didn't do my favorites heading into this one. But, you know, I really like Scotty. I really like Rory. I really like Cam Smith. Those are three names that I really like. Um, and just in general, the Open typically skews a little bit to experience. Um, I think they have a, a little bit older age profile the most. So if you're thinking about that, look for some informed players that that have experience. And um, this should be really fun. I'm, I'm excited. And then in the second half of this podcast, I, I almost forgot our second guest. Now, how can I forget it? One of the great people that I've met through golf and... Um, just for a little bit different flavor on this pod. We've had a lot of stuff going on. 
Um, at some point, we'll get into the Senate committee hearings, but I figured this would be way more fun to have kind of a divergence. If you're interested in the Senate committee hearing, uh, we did a big breakdown on the shotgun start, Brendan Porath and I, right after that. That would be the Wednesday episode of, of this week was a big breakdown on that. So you can get a lot of analysis on that uh, there. So just to be a little different, my second guest here is Micah Puchel. He is uh, the lead singer and he plays the guitar too in, in, in a band called Iration. They are um, kind of like a reggae band. Uh, they are delightful, delightful summer music. I cannot... Um, I can't tell you how many times I've had it on with like friends and they're like, oh, what is this? They're beating their head. What is this? And Micah uh, is a golf nut. He's uh, one of the one of the early people that I met um, through doing this um, and a uh, great guy, complete golf sicko. And um, we just kind of talked about his life with golf um, and a little bit about music and golf and some parallels and some differences. And um, then just playing golf on, on tour. He had a epic uh, golf trip that was tied to his, uh, his tour, his most recent tour. So without further ado, here is Jasper and Micah and thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. And um, yeah, thank you. Now for a quick word from our sponsor, AG1. Listen, there are very few things that I do every day, one of which is uh, drink AG1. It really sets me up uh, for the day. It's gotten me into a healthy routine. I've talked about this a few times on this podcast. You know, in AG1, there's 75 high-quality ingredients that really give me the key daily nutrients, um, and they support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. So one thing, you know, with this routine, getting into a routine has really helped me. I've started go for morning runs and it's kind of like a, it's a great routine. I wake up before anybody in my house is up. I, uh, I pour my AG one in, get pour a little water in and I'm off and going. Um, and it gets a couple of things. It gets the water, but it also gets the nutrients in, uh, in my body. It, it gives me a little bit of energy and, uh, it makes me feel great. So, uh, I'm on, you know, I'm getting another healthy routine in there, but it all started with getting a routine, uh, with AG one, you know, I'm building on my healthiness this year. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG one and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash thefriedegg. That's drinkag1.com slash thefriedegg. Check it out, and thanks to AG1 for their support. Jasper, thanks for coming on, uh, and uh, I just... uh, how are you feeling these days with uh with the open coming up and you know you got the Scottish Open going now what's what's the general uh general feeling towards uh golf right now yeah so i mean this is this is an exciting time for for golf in the uk because all the big players from stateside come over um everybody starts to 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 love golf it almost seems like the world's attention just slowly builds until we get to the open uh so 
this year, not so much with the Irish Open, but the Scottish Open. So there's this gradual build. Uh, you've got a lot of the big players that are playing down in London, uh, some of the Heathland courses. So it was nice to see, I think, um, uh, at least three anyways were down at Sunningdale. Uh, so that's always good when we start to get some oh, of the... Wasn't there like a Justin Rose match? Justin Rose that played somebody down there. I forgot who it was. Yeah, I mean, I seen uh, it was uh, Spieth and, and Fowler um, and a couple of others playing at, uh, at Sunningdale. There's always a big meetup at Queenwood, which is a, an ex- exclusive club just outside London. Uh, so there's quite a few there. Um, so yeah, it, it seems like, I don't know how they get around the country. It's, it must be the private jets or the helicopters because it seems like they're in North Berwick one day and then, you know, playing somewhere in Ireland and then back down to London and so yeah, however it works, but it, it's great because it, it brings the world's eyes and attentions to uh, this year, especially golf in, in England. Uh, and I think England as a golf destination is, is woefully underrated. Um, with all due respect to Scotland and Ireland, of course, uh, I mean, there's some good, good golf in England. Yeah, well, I think that the country as a whole doesn't have as much of a a tourism dependency or or um focus as as Scotland and Ireland. I think the those countries are are much uh much more likely and and eager to, you know, get the get the influential Americans and uh different or not even Americans, di- influential uh, uh foreigners over to uh to show them a good time, you know, and Absolutely. I think that, yeah. and, and I think that obviously I think the golf courses, the business models are a little bit different, right? Where it's, um, you know, the Scottish and Irish clubs are, are very, very dependent on, on the, you know, on the guest play and, and the English clubs while hospitable, maybe aren't, aren't as dependent. Would you say that's a fair assessment? I think so. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's interestingly, I mean, Scotland and Ireland, it really seems like the, the, the game itself is uh, democratized. You know, it's, uh, it, let's be honest, golf, top tier golf in England, especially around London, nothing is cheap in London. Um, but then you add a little bit of exclusivity um, and then you add a London premium to it. You you, you can spend quite a lot, uh, if you can't get in the front door, um, you can't spend a lot playing golf in and around London. But that being said, there's like second tier, third tier courses that are absolutely astonishing um, that you don't have to break the bank for. So there's something for everyone. But you're right. Um, well, give give us give the audience a give a few give two two or three hidden gems that that you would you would urge people. That, you know, I think the thing that's neat about London, which I think. I mean, Scotland and Ireland are great to bring anybody to, but one of mm-hmm. the things about London, a London golf trip is like, you got stuff for everybody. I always make the argument, the best golf trips are in cities because, and they're so hard, they're so far and few in America that have good accessible golf, right? But, yeah. you know, London, like you're paying paying up for it, but like you're in one of the greatest cities in the world and you can play some of the greatest golf in the world and that's rare and it's accessible. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, if you if you really wanted to hit the highlights, you've got, uh, I mean, St. George's Hill. I've got a soft spot for that, obviously. Yeah. Um, Congrats on, on the gig there. Yeah, thanks very much. I mean, it's, it's really exciting to be working with Brian and Clyde and Angela and Chris, uh, and then to be able to bring in a lot of the historical research. That's nice, too. Um, but yeah, we'll perhaps get onto that at some point. Um so I think Sunningdale, Old and New, Swinley Forest, of course, that's a little bit difficult to get on sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
once you move past those, that's kind of your Colt uh, taken care of. You've got Walton Heath old and new, some Fowler content for you there. Um, you know, you can get into, I think West Sussex, it, it cruises under radar and it's an absolutely brilliant golf course. Uh, and then just outside London, if you go down towards the coast, um, you've got Liphook, which is a quite a nice golf course. It's really, really good. Tom Simpson and Arthur Croom, a little bit of influence there. Uh, Haley down on the south coast, um, really good. Again, another uh, Tom Simpson uh, inspired design or at least had some influence there. Uh, and then you, you get loads of different ones. Um, Blackmore, uh, Hindhead. Um, there's little pockets where you maybe get three, four, five golf courses within a couple of miles of each other. Uh, the three W's in Woking, um, Warpliston, Woking, West Hill. You could add uh, New Zealand onto that. Literally, you could spend months in London playing great golf at golf courses that most English people have never heard of. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a great city to be in and near. So that's that's awesome. I, I feel like I feel like London has the best uh, claim to try and take on like New York and London are the are the two Goliaths of golf. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I I've obviously not spent a lot of time in, in New York, London. I've been able to spend quite a few years now, almost a decade um, taking off courses around here. Melbourne in, in Australia uh, and the Mornington Peninsula is special. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. this winter I got to play quite a lot of the kind of the, the big ones you'd want to go and see if you're an architectural buff. Um, but then talking to the people that are down there, Mike Clayton and, and a few others, you know, they'd say, well, next time we come back, we've got to play these. And again, it's like London. There's another 15, 20, 25 courses. And you think I'm just going to have to emigrate to Australia next. <laughs> so, uh -huh. yeah. yeah, it's we'll see what happens. But uh, we've got family in Australia, so we can spend hopefully spend a little bit more time there. And it's, you know, you're not shelling up for hotels and all the rest of it all the time. So let's see what we can do next time we go. Yeah, yeah. I, I think one of the magic things now about the Open having been over is that I think it, it evokes like a, um, a nostalgia, a memories for everybody that have made trips over to the UK to play golf. And like you just, you know, I was, I was, reading and watching stuff on on Liverpool this morning and I uh there's a great cookie jar video that just uh that went up a couple of days ago. They did a really good job. Uh it's on YouTube. I would urge everybody to go watch it. Yeah, but, Sammy like, Tom. The thing Yeah, I the thing is I got you know, you get I just saw some of the scenes and it's like, oh god, that the dunes land when it gets into the dunesy stuff at, at Liverpool it kind of reminded me of like my time at, at Muirfield and, and you just get this, this nostalgia and we've been going through kind of like this, all the stuff. Like I feel like we, we use some of the stuff we captured last year, but we were going through all of it and, and, and posting some stuff. And every time I'm just, you know, it brings this warm and fuzzy feeling to you. Well, it's just, it's yeah, it's pure classic golf. It's, it's the way it was meant to be played. Um, and, and the ingredients that go into it are, are timeless. Um, all the great golf courses share it. I do think one of the things too that's really cool about the Open, and and it's is I feel like it's growing more and more this way. Is you see the best players in the world acting like tourists the week of the Scottish, where they're running around and seeing stuff. You you talked about about Ricky and and, and JT, uh, Ricky and JT and Spieth playing Sunningdale, like. That you know, a bunch of them out at North Berwick while they're in 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 the Gullen area. You know, it's just like that. That's usually confined to just Zach Blair during weeks, like living out. But like, 
there's something about about that that makes this time of year special. I remember a few years ago, Brandon Brandon Stone after he shot, I think he was leading the open. Uh, it was at Carnoustie. He was then out at the old course playing with hickories, like That's the it. same day. Yeah, and, and this is the thing that's great because I think what it does is it shows that golf, that proper golf, doesn't need to be played on seven thousand six hundred yard, you know, courses that that are inaccessible to all of us and at a level of play that we can't, you know, comprehend. You know, there's some uh, videos going around today of of Rory hitting a persimmon driver at Renaissance. Yeah. And talking about ball speed and launch angles and, you know, equipment. And, but it's great because, you know, you see these individuals effectively going to golf courses because they want to see the golf, not necessarily because they want to play card and pencil golf where they're just trying to post course records. They're going there to see it for the love of the game. And there's nothing better for the game than see these top tier guys literally transversing the country to uh, to see some of the greatest golf that, that's uh, that's out there. And so for us, I think it's important that uh, fans of the game see that there's a lot more to golf outside of just those venues that perhaps the tours go to week in, week out. And an open season, yeah, the, the opens every year bring bring the golf to uh, bring golf to courses that are accessible to all of us. And, I- and Liverpool is one of those. I might make a campaign for for a month over there just so I can selfishly spend a month over there for for work. You know that would. Well, it's be... a, it's reasonable, isn't it? I mean, it's it, absolutely. It's uh, yeah. It it needs to be done. Look, it's uh, it's part and parcel of uh, with what you do for a living. It's uh, you know, it, it's not even an option. You just have to make it happen. Maybe next year. I say that every year. And then last year I said <laughs> I was there's no way that I wasn't going to get there. But then I got wrapped up with. Um, with lots of U.S. Open, U.S. Women's Open going to Pebble, and then all of a sudden you start to look at the calendar, and it's like, ah, this would be crazy if I went. So Yeah. Well, get it in early, and let's see where we're going. I know. Next year for sure. Maybe later this year. Maybe. We'll see. Sounds I'm, good. I'm kind of uh, I'm kick, kicking myself for not being out there right now. So let's let's get into Royal Liverpool. Absolutely. Um, uh, you, you obviously have a, uh, a, you know, you, you do a lot of historical stuff. I'd love to hear, I think it's got a pretty unique history and, um, it's, you know, a historical significance of, of a place is very, has just a ton of history in terms of significance and then a very interesting architectural history. So I'd love if you kind of dove into those two topics. Sure. So. I mean, I guess we'll set the record straight straight away. I mean, there there are individuals that know Hoy Lake inside and out. I mean, a good friend of mine, Joe Joe McDonald, um, you know, walking encyclopedia about it. So I don't want to put it. I think wrong, he's coming but... on the pod next week. So brilliant, yeah, he's the right man to get. So so if I if I if I do mess anything up, he'll put me right next week. Yeah, uh, I'm seeing him next week, Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I think we're going to spend some time together. So are you go- going out to the tournament. That's right. Yeah, we've got a little event uh, society that I'm a part of um, is having an event Tuesday night uh, up at the club. Um, and then Wednesday, we'll we'll get in a practice day, um, see the course and see some of the players. So, yeah, it's going to be a good couple of days. Um, and like you say, with the exception of your fine self, um, the the world has come to Hoylake this year. So, you know, the golf world. So it's it's always a good week to to see some people and make some connections and have some good chats. So, no, it's good. But yeah, with regards to the history, um, you know, it's 
I think for me, the, the, the real drive to getting to know Hoylake better was the, the cold connection. So early on, obviously, you had Chambers and Morris. Um, 1869 kind of started out uh, nine holes in 12. Um, but it was really Colt in 23, uh, post-World War One, who kind of formulated and, and kind of got things to effectively the, the framework uh, that, you know, we kind of understand the course to be today. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, world-class holes that if it hadn't fallen off the rota, uh, probably more of us would, would, would know of. Um, you know, you look back at what Tom Simpson had to say, uh, renowned golf course architect about the old course and Hoy Lake. And, and it was almost like he held them in the same esteem, neck and neck. Um, but because it wasn't front and center, especially with the American audience for so many years, and it was based in England rather than Scotland, um, per, perhaps it isn't as well known. Um, but there was some cracking holes uh, at Hoyley, world class. So I, you had there were two yeah. two that were removed, and I've seen it. I've seen people compare it to like Augusta lose. I said I think Rand Morissette compared it to like Augusta losing two of its best holes, or the old course losing seven and eleven. Like I've, I've, you know, and yeah, and it's, it's to that extent. I mean, to the point where, uh, Tom Doak in his confidential guide, um, you know, basically included one of the holes that no longer exists at Hoy Lake in one of his like top tier golf holes. I mean, it was so good that he's basically waxy and lyrical about it and it doesn't even exist anymore. I mean, the, the hole that's there. So, uh, it was called Dowie. It was a renowned par three that basically had out of bounds, like right on the left-hand side of the green. And it was so potent uh, that it was just too much even for the the pros to handle. So I think for the the Open to DiVincenzo one, they they made a local rule and kind of changed where the boundary of out of bounds was. Uh, And then eventually, uh, prior to 2006, I believe they they took it... uh, Kind of took the hole out or or changed it so that they could uh, basically have a different hole in play. So that that was uh, one that the the golf course architectural world laments um, as one of the great holes that's been lost on one of the great courses uh, is Dowie. The other one that kind of comes to mind is Royal. Real real quick, I, you know, with Dowie and and people are hearing about the out of bounds being pushed up against it. One of the one of the defining characteristics of this golf course is out of bounds, correct? That's right. Yeah. So you, you, it comes into play on on quite a few holes. Uh, admittedly, not as much as it used to. And I mm-hmm. think the 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 misconception that happens a lot is that out of bounds, it's kind of just a, a weird local thing that they have at Liverpool, and it's you know just a, a carryover tradition type thing. Um, I think if you listen to anything that Joe's been on and kind of explained, you'll see that he's quite adamant about the fact that uh, effectively the, the the course and the club hired land um, from uh, from the landowner, and effectively where the the practice ground is now that that still makes up out of internal out of bounds on well it's the the first hole and the last hole. Um, well, yeah, I'm getting mixed it's up a, with the, the, third, the open so road. So third, the third hole for the tournament is 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 normally the first hole for the for the golf yeah. course, and this is where you're immediately hit without a bounds, right? That's right. Yeah. So members first, open third, and then you've got members sixteenth, uh, open eighteenth. Um, that kind of runs around the practice ground, uh, and it's an absolutely brilliant golf hole. Um, it's interesting. You know, 
I, I remembered a quote from from Tom Simpson, um, and and effectively what he said. It was in the architectural side of golf, which is basically like my Bible. So had it beside book. my desk. So yeah, he basically talks about Hoylake, the first hole being like this amazing hole of of incredible significance. Um, but what he liked about it was that you effectively have to call your shot. Um, either you have to play away right from it on the, the, on the, yeah. And, and what, what's like, no, good about it. No messing around right out of the game. Yeah. If you're playing stroke play and, and it's card and pencil golf, um, I mean, you could literally ruin your card on the first hole without much bother. It's, you know, and, and it's been done many times. Um, I, I haven't put, I've played the, I've played the course a handful of times. I've visited a few times more. Uh, I spent a lot of time researching it and chatting about it with Joe and Sam and all the rest of them. Um, so I've never gone out on the drive and out of bounds, but I have put a ball out on the approach. And that's the thing because the, because the out of bounds line is to the right side of the green on, on one as the members played or three as the, the, the open will be played. Um, if you shy away from the out of bounds on your tee shot, more than likely you're going to have to face a shot towards it on your approach. So whether it's your, it is. Yeah. And at some point you just got to, you got to take that bite. It's it's there. It's it's looking at you in the face, and either you got to face it on your tee shot or on your approach. It's it's one or the other, and it's just a matter of when you're going to take it on. Um, but it's it's an incredibly great hole. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the pros take the line off the tee, because uh, it is very much it's, it's a little bit like the road hole that way. You can bite off as much as you like, um, but a lot of it's going to have to do with wind. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how those stands affect the wind as well on that hole. So, yeah, that, that's going to be an exciting one. Third hole is always great, whether you're playing it or watching it. I think the thing that is interesting, like out of, internal out of bounds as it is now, but it, at the time, you know, it was a, out of bounds. It was the property line, effectively. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think like it always sparks a fair police debate. You know, where, you know, the concept of fair is going to enter the chat just as soon as as soon as somebody hits one out of bounds and it's, you know, you can see there's like a grandstand there. They're (laughs) going to be like, wait a second. Like, why is this out of bounds? But this is the way it was like the, you know, the job of a golfer is to overcome the challenge that's presented in them and in front of them. And I think like, you know. I'm not like a big out of bounds guy. This, I'm not trying. This is not me grandstanding for out of bounds. All over the place. <laughs> I don't think anyone would. No, but out of bounds is the most penal of penalty. And it has a, a incredible effect on, on professional golfers who are conservative players. Like the best players are generally very conservative golfers. Like, so this this has a massive impact on how they play the hole. And one of the things that I was taken aback by is just how pressed up against the green the out of bounds is. So oh, if yeah. you are left and you're in the in the rough in particular, you are going to not have control of your golf ball. And that out of bounds is going to be so so in your purview. And that's what mm-hmm. I, I think the brilliant thing about this hole is really is like the idea, or like if you're going to bite off some, but you don't bite off as much as you as you can, the same problem presents itself because you're going to run through to the left edge, you know, maybe. And even from there, you know, to certain pins, it's going to be a factor. It's really, it's a fascinating hole. And, you know, listen, like I'm not like big on out of bounds, but I think it, 
it has a really fun place in golf, especially in high stakes tournament golf, because, you know, this, this is something that really dissuades the top end players. Well, I mean, you can make an argument for it. Like you say, I mean, there's, there's a lot of great golf courses, especially this side of the pond that make brilliant use of out of bounds as a strategic feature. I mean, everybody loves the, the road hole for obvious reasons. Tee shots exciting. I mean, the approach in is, is phenomenal. One of the greatest golf holes, if not the greatest golf hole, you know, ever. Um, the third or the first, however you want to call it at Hoy Lake is another one of those that makes good use of it. Uh, you think about the amount of uh holes even say carnoustie you know hogan's alley the left hand side um out of bounds you can hit basically the left third of that fairway and still get a shocking bounce like out of bounds so yeah there's notion woking, of fairness woking, the whole that famous hole at woking would yep, be another hole. example yeah with the yep, with the due to the railway road. line yeah yeah exactly so i mean you see it over and over and over again um and, and maybe that's why here um, as opposed to, you know, and I can straddle that line. I've been here long enough. I understand the concepts of, of these things now and studied it here. Um, we're at home, you know, growing up in Canada, out of bounds was like, wow, you, you really did something stupid if you found out of bounds. Um, you know, so, but, but here it's regular and it's normal. Uh, stroke and distance has definitely affected that, the rule change, but so long ago now. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, it's one of those things that affects plays at, uh, Liverpool. Uh, at Hoy Lake, um, seven not so much as it did obviously um, on on Dowie, but then again the 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 final hole. I mean, recently there was a, a video of um, who was it? Um, Patrick Harrington who went driver driver um, to to finish off, and you're thinking to yourself like, yeah, 600 plus yards with perhaps a side wind blowing to you towards out of bounds, and then you got to cut the corner again. You got this massive amphitheater uh, with stands all around it. Yeah, it's going to be an incredible hole to finish on. Um, before we got on, I was trying to trying to think. I didn't know uh, which holes would be used for the playoff if there is a, a sudden death playoff. So four hole aggregate and then sudden deaths. But it wouldn't it be amazing to see something like you know eighteen as it's being played and three being um, again. So yeah, it'd be, it's going to be interesting to see how it all comes into it. Um, but another so, hole that was really yeah, go ahead. Oh, before we get to the other lost hole, I, I, you know, you, you've brought this up a couple times, and it, you know, wind. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a very exposed place, and what happens when the wind kicks up at, at Liverpool? Yeah, so I mean, it's uh, what was it? It was uh, Bernard Darwin. I mean, the favorite, uh, the famous quote uh, of Darwin. Uh, Bernard Darwin was Darman. that um, <laughs> combining words is late for me. That's that's my excuse. Gar Garmin and Darwin. <laughs> so Bernard Darwin, there we go. Got it out eventually. Uh, Hoylake is uh, blown upon by mighty winds, but also a breeder of of uh, mighty champions. So the the fact is that it is an exposed site. Um, the the prevailing wind is from the lighthouse, so effectively. As you go to the far end of the course, um, it could play with you. So that might come into play on the uh, what what we've played is the tenth uh, for the open, the the eighth, which is far. Uh, so that's quite a long, usually par five for members, par four during the open. Um, probably won't be as difficult for the the tour guys because of the the length that they all possess. Uh, especially if the wind is blowing with them. But if you get the wind against you on a hole like that, um, 
especially with that green it's quite small and there is a horrible bunker front right i mean if you're in that um yeah it can wreak havoc so It'll be interesting to see if if the prevailing wind sticks. Um, that back nine on Sunday is going to be interesting because as soon as you turn that corner, you've got a string of holes, basically four holes that you could be playing right into the teeth of that wind. Um, and then the seventeen. And it's over which is those. New- those holes are over some of the the choppiest terrain. You're going to probably get the most uneven lies in that in that part. I think that's where you know in watching the video stuff gets it gets fairly dramatic out there and playing into the wind that on that stretch of holes presents more challenges also in in just the lies you're going to get oh absolutely i mean you you, once you get down to to that end of the course basically playing into the dune land um that stretch of holes once you make the turn so during the open 11 12 13 14 um basically plays along a dune ridge and you kind of play alongside of it and then you play up and off of it and then back into Mm -hmm. it yeah lots of holes that kind of play ridge to ridge holes right and and that'll be the interesting one so some of them obviously you can you know you're you're kind of playing off the off the dune but then you have to attack it and go back into it so Mm -hmm. um you know the famous uh shot the tiger hit where the four iron i think and he and he sunk it for you know uh, got got an eagle on the par four uh, which would be was that 14 12. yeah 12? 12 as members play it 14 as the the open would play it um but i think that's that's definitely in the discussion for me as probably the best hole on the golfers uh hillbury uh yeah i think for me that's that's when you always get excited to play uh you know it's coming and you always look forward to it it's an absolutely brilliant golf hole it feels like a a very uh, a pretty narrow golf course in terms of, you know, just like it, you, you really have to, there's, there's a certain, like just looking at it, it's narrow, but then it also, the way fairways move and, you know, they create these, it, it creates a lot of angles that make the effect of narrowness even in more like placement of shots is, is extremely important. It's more, it feels like control is imperative here. Well, I think I think that's the point. Uh, you know, you talked about the effect of wind. So, you know, famously, Tiger basically hit one driver when he won in was it two thousand six, and it's like, you know, to go around with two and three irons off the tees, and and I think one word that keeps coming up is plotting, and not in its not not that it's target golf because it's not. It's not like you know, let's hit a number and then walk up to it and hit another number again. Because you're right, it's it's firm, it's fast. Uh, you have to think about what the ball is going to do after it hits the ground. Um, w- with that in mind, though, um, it is very strategic. So you, you do have to think your way around the golf course. And and you're right, it, the the fairway width isn't expansive. You know, it's not massively wide. Um, that sometimes we would we would basically equate with you know strategic golf width and angles and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but anytime I've ever played it, I've never walked off thinking that, you know, these are incredibly tight fairways with really penal rough. Um, you know, I, I know a course that you played and that I've played Muirfield, you know, sometimes you venture off literally a yard off the fairway and you think to yourself, well, <laughs> you know, where I don't even have a shot here. So, um, you know, and part of that too is, is conditioning. I think the, the, the lead up to the open, it was really dry in May and June in the UK and and the world peninsula usually is drier than most places um they have got a little bit of moisture the last few weeks 
Um, and I think they've got the agronomy in a situation where if they need to use a little bit of extra moisture, uh, artificial or otherwise, that they'll be able to control it and present the course the way that they want to. Um, so it's it's probably not going to be a 2006 where basically there's this massive puff of dirt and dust when you when you take a divot. It's probably not going to be 2016 or yeah, with 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 Rory, you know, there's not going to be large large chunks of turf coming out. I don't think, but um, it'll be probably somewhere in between because it looks like the weather's going to hold. Uh, but you're right, it's going to be the it's going to be the ball strikers, uh, the ones that can control spin and trajectory, especially on the the new 17. Let's get back to the other lost hole, then we'll get to the new hole. Okay. Yeah, so I, it's it's an interesting one because the lost hole, I mean, I think we're both referring to Royal, um, mm. which is going to play as the opening hole uh, for the Open, but is the penultimate hole uh, when you're playing it as a member so or a visitor. Uh, so 17. So basically the green used to be right upside uh what is for all intents and purposes an extremely p- flat piece of land. So any type of intrigue or jeopardy or any type of interest had to be manufactured. And they did it amazingly well with a dog leg right to left, uh, with this green right pushed up against it with some really, really strategic bunkering. So effectively, again, the you know the, the formula for good strategic golf is risk and reward. You know, the, the closer you get to that wall, the better line you're gonna have in. Um and if you don't, if you play conservatively, then you're going to have a really testing shot over some bunkers. So that, unfortunately, uh, that hole, uh, as good as it was, was uh, modified. I wouldn't say lost um, because effectively the hole is still there. It's still called Royal. It's just that the green was brought in from effectively beside, right beside the road, uh, a little bit in hand to give it a, a little bit of a buffer uh, because of health and safety. So... It's still there, um, but it's been slightly neutered, I would say, if that's a fair description. With with those two holes, could they both easily be recaptured if the if the club wanted it? Well, I think so. Yeah, I mean they're both there. You'd have to reinstate, obviously, internal out of bounds uh, for the old Dowie, uh, which would be controversial. I don't know to the members, but at least to the rest of the golfing world, I think at some point, especially the pros had to come back and play God, it. I, I just love a par three. What's just out of bounds. Just like, <laughs> right yeah, it's a crazy concept, really. For us now, back then it wasn't. But yeah. for us now, it seems like really odd. Um, and Royal would be phenomenal. Like the the beauty of golf architecture, the beauty of the, of the open rota, I think like, and I think where sometimes my frustration with the US Open lies is like, you know, th- the U S open so often goes to uh, courses and then the identity becomes the U S open identity versus that, that world-class course that they're going to. And I think like what's super fun about like, I, I feel like a lot there'd be, if this was a PGA tour event, right. This was just like the Scottish open that's being now run by the PGA tour and the European tour. Right. They would remove the the on course out uh, in course out of bounds because they would say this isn't. But like what I love about this, there's like a cheekiness to it. There's a playfulness. There's a a uniqueness. A, a you know, and it's it, it's variety. What what we want out of our venues is variety, and that's mm-hmm. you know that's what makes golf so awesome is that we have all these different um, courses that fields effectively as any other sport. And each field has its unique quirks and, and, and challenges 
that you have to overcome here. You know, there was more out of bounds, but out of bounds is a central theme. Yeah. And, and it's not going to change. Um, you know, to use an expression, it, it is what it is. And if you don't like it, well, tough, because it's not going to be changed for you. Um, and the fact that they haven't changed it for um, arguably the world's, you know, greatest golf tournament. Um, it's it's one of those things where there's there's still a little bit of like, I, I love it. Uh, and of course, I'm not a member at, at, at Royal Liverpool. So, you know, that's that's good. That's see. That's a that's a that's a good. You're a non-biased party. You know, you bring yeah, a, and, a, a, a member on here, and you got you got bias problems. Well, but I love the fact that you've got this entity that's effectively saying, "Yeah, you can come and play your tournament here, um, but just remember, like this is our golf course, and this is the way it's played." And of course, they change the the routine and you know, uh, the, or the way that it's it's played. Um, the holes are all there, and you can still all play them. But I love the fact that effectively the golf course that you go and play to like the Monday after the tournament is is exactly what you're going to play, you know, what what you see on telly. So and and that includes all of its quirks. And that's the beautiful thing about golf, I think, in the UK that I really like is that you, you get that in spades. So and and links golf especially, but even inland. Um, you know, you talked about uh, Woking, you know. Uh, and there's some great common land golf courses where you get to courses like Minchinhampton or Painswick that, that are just blow. It'll blow your mind with regards to what you think golf is, because you, you step up to some of these holes and you think, really, it, we're really going that way. We're really doing that. We're going over this or through that. Um, but it's fine because that's just the way that they've done it. And that's the way that they're going to continue to do it. And yeah, we just embrace it. Uh, which is which is great. Um, I, it's it's one of the special things about golf over here is that it's not formulaic. Um, it is what it is. Well, I think there's something to be said about like the the era in which um, golf courses were made and why they aren't formulaic was like it wasn't a profession. It wasn't a you know, and this is not a shot at modern designers, but you know it was amateurs and like there, there is like a, a sense of unrefinement to them. And I think like one of the, one of the things that, and before we talk about the 17th, like one of the tough things about what's happening with a lot of golf courses is the, is that there's being more refinement put into them. And you wonder how much of the original like luster and, and soul is, is brought in that, you know? So with that, obviously, uh, Mackenzie and Ebert, uh, archi architects that have worked all over um, the UK, some in Canada too. Uh, they have been uh, consulting with the club as they do with many of the RNA golf courses that are in Tournament Rota, and they have installed mm -hmm. a yet another new hole for Royal Liverpool. Uh, tell tell us about the seventeenth. It's a uh, par three. Yeah, so seventeenth. So uh, basically replaced the the rushes. Uh, which was a par three that basically was on the same piece of land, but went in the opposite direction. So they've effectively like done a 180. And actually, just before I came on, I was scrolling through Twitter, and there was a video that came out with Martin Ebert. Um, and from the horse's mouth, he said that the reason why he built it was because the RNA and the club uh, were effectively wanted a, a, a dramatic finish. Uh, and boy, are they going to get it. Um, it. It's an interesting one because... I think when it was first constructed, uh, 
with what has become a Mackenzie and Ebert hallmark or trademark with these open sand scrapes. Um, you know, you, you get this, it, it's an amazing golf hole, especially from the aerial drone footage. And it's going to look really, really good on telly, um, especially with the sunset and all the rest of it. It's, they're going to get some incredible shots that are going to show off uh, Royal Liverpool, Hoylake to the world in a way that it's never been done before. Um, when it first came out, it felt like it was, uh, I don't want to say not in keeping, but I think as they've expo exposed more sand on the dunes land, it started to feel more accepted, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. because they've opened up sand and captured sand and used sand and, uh, from, from the dunes that you, you play from, well, what will be 11 through to 14. So you'll notice there's very dr the dr dramatic bunkering. And I think this is something that I, as a, as a casual onlooker from the States who, you know, you can't comment a lot of on places that you haven't been, but this seems to be a very, um, a very standard practice from, uh, Mackenzie and Ebert where they, they do the sand scrape, it, you know, essentially like a sand scrape, expose a bunch of sand. Um, and it really gives a different look right mm -hmm. it's, it's yeah not, massive contrast yeah not it, it especially especially different than the front nine of the same golf course where it's very flat and and there isn't there aren't necessarily all these places to do this right where you know they continue it, you can see it especially in videos if you if you look you you'll see just a different style bunker and that's really what it is when that bunker shows up and everybody will see it this week that is a a new thing that's been brought to the course by Mackenzie and Eber. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, long on that hole. So it's not a long hole. It's about 140 yards. Um, and anything long is dead. I mean, there, there is, I've played the hole a handful of times. I've never been long. And I don't think most people usually are in golf. Uh, we all think we hit it longer than we do. So <laughs> we don't usually miss it long. Uh, and that's a good thing on that hole. It's a really good thing. Um, it's a little bit like the original concept of the Eden at St. Andrews. It's like, yeah, you can't be long because that's dead. You can't be short because that's dead too. Oh, and if you're left or right, you'll probably be in some really terrifying bunkers. So there's really no safe miss. You know, you, you basically just have to hit the shot to the middle of the green. Um, the way that the bunkers work often, like left, you'll end up in a bunker. Um, and again, prevailing wind, you should have that out of the bunker into the wind, which might help. Um, the right bunker is deep. It's, it's pretty intense. Uh, the other thing to say about the bunkers, which is really interesting. Um, and I've, uh, James Bledge, who's the course manager, I've, I've mm -hmm. listened to him a couple of times on a few bits and pieces. Um, effectively, they're raking the bunkers so that there, there's no bowl in the bottom of them. So the ball, if it just trundles off the lip or rolls, let's say you hit the green and it catches one of the slopes and it just falls over the edge of the bunker down the revetment there's a good chance that it could stay literally beside the revetment at the bottom of the bunker in almost a 90 degree angle. Um, and likewise, the other way, you you could eventually just get this like ball to trundle in just the side and it drops off and you've got this, you know, so you can't, you can't advance the ball forward. You might have to go out sideways or even in the wrong direction to get it out. Um, I was, that... I was texting, I was texting with a player who played in the last open there. And uh, he was telling me that it is vitally important to avoid bunkers at Hoylake. Like, 
And, and obviously, you know, if you think about Tiger's 2006, that was a big, big part of his strategy, but he, he put an emphasis on avoiding bunkers at all costs. And I think that it kind of comes back to what we said before about it's the type of golf course that you've got to plot your way around. Um, you know, there's Matt Lake, you know, massive drives and they try and chop out, just not going to work. Um, and I think what they're trying to do as well is make sure that those bunkers are one shot penalties. If you find one, like you're not going to have a half shot where you can kind of take a nine iron, get it down the fairway and, you know, try and make par like, no, that's going to cost you a shot. It's it's hard for guys to do that too. I I mean, it's hard for any competitive player to not try and get everything they want. They can't, they think they can out of a shot and, and just understand that it, I chip it out sideways and this was a hazard that I was in. And that's, I think one of the things, that's my favorite aspects of the open championship is that there is real penalty with bunkers. Yeah. And I think, I think it's going to live up to its billing. Um, I mean, some of those bunkers with revetments they have, especially with the way they're presenting them, not bowling them out, but keeping them flat in the bottom. I mean, it, w- it wouldn't be surprising to me um, if you had massive shifts uh, come Sunday with the pressure on going to 17. Um, you know, the, the potential, especially if that wind is swirling or coming in, um, you know, you, you could easily, you know, you talk about the, uh, the Thomas Bjorn affair at, uh, at Sandwich. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's every possibility that that could happen again. Um, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, look, you know, who's to say, but it, it certainly will be dramatic if, if it goes down that way. And, you know, it's going to make for great primetime telly. Um, it's, it's going to be an interesting hole. And in, even if the leaders, in a tight race, come down to 17 and they, they all pitch it into the middle of the green, but we're all going to be holding our breath when they take that tee shot. So it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting one, uh, to see how it all plays out. I was thinking about this earlier though, uh, and, and to bring it back to what we said about Dowie was effectively an incredible, difficult, incredibly difficult and some would even say penal golf hole. And it'd be interesting to see what the the result is of that uh as we look back on the 17th and and it's the role that it will play in this open championship uh and not to forget that the the spirit of hoy lake that there there was some pretty severe holes that some of us like architecturally historical kind of you know romantically look back and think about dowie and royal and how great those greens would be to put back and well guess what we, we've got a version of something like that with 17 now and mm-hmm. and I think that's tempered me. So I'm reserving judgment. I've played the hole a few times. Um, I've I don't think I've ever blown up on that hole. Uh, I've definitely bogeyed it. And I think I might have parred it. But yeah, it's uh, it's one of those where it could go horribly wrong, or it could be a non-event where they just pitch it to the middle of the green and walk away. But it's going to be cool to see what happens. What are what are the Neat things I will say about the sand scrapes that they've done is they've mined them for top dressing sand, which I think is is pretty. They've saved a ton of money by using their own own sand uh, on property, which I think is pretty pretty wise and economical. I know James Bludge, the superintendent there, are uh, uh, it, it does a really great job. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really, look, in the, in the UK, especially, I don't know what the laws are like in, uh, in the US, but things are getting more and more difficult here when it comes to, to, to golf course, uh, agronomy in particular. 
uh, use of chemicals and 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 rightfully so um you just got to find different ways to to do what we've always done um that being said you know things like carbon tax um and mining on site and the ecology benefits of it you know those like you say if you if you could operate in the the romantic world of historical golf course architecture and just do what you wanted when you wanted how you wanted yeah it'd be great and it would be loved to be great to live in that fantasy world but we're 100 years removed from it you know this is not 1923 with harry colt at hoylake you know this is you know this is 2023 so uh what they what they've done is really clever um they they have masses of sand at hoylake which is really good uh, but there's a lot of golfers golf courses in the uk that are going to struggle moving forward um so a lot of the big quarries are running out um yeah we're just gonna have to find different ways to do it um but yeah to to have that asset on site to do what they've done yeah is uh is really clever really really good yeah so um last question before i get you out of here um mm-hmm. I, I guess if you could distill uh hoylake's kind of essence uh and how that relates to other open road courses if you could just you know kind of distill like when you when i ask you about hoylake what is the first thing that pops in your mind yeah it's it's not a disservice it's actually very much a compliment um as you know i'm a massive fan of st andrews the old course it is the the singular uh greatest golf course in the history of the game on so many levels and hoylake for me is not far off st andrews because uh you, the, the type of golf course that it is uh it doesn't just resemble the golf course a lot of people say well it's flat like st andrews but again i think that's a bit of a simplistic view i think for me it's a cerebral golf course. You have to think your way around it. Um, and I think that's why Tom Simpson loved it so much. Uh, and the the more that I've been there, the more time I've spent with guys like Joe and Sam uh, who, who talk about it intimately, that they have a knowledge of it. You realize that it's the type of golf course that gives its secrets away uh, through extended play and thought. And any golf course that you can play for your entire lifetime and only get more excited about that's a pretty good golf course. Those are the best and, courses. <laughs> absolutely. I, I mean, and literally, uh, that's what makes Lakes Golf so good. Um, just the nature of the property, firm, fast, running, wind, every day is different. For, for me, Hoy Lake is all the good things of great Lakes Golf, but as well, you have like these extra bells and whistles, not quirky stuff, um, but the things like, um, you know, just the history of the club. It's, it's intimate association with the amateur game. Um, it, it's integral to the growth of the game as it came out of, of Scotland into England and then and then further afield. There, there's so much to Hoylake that makes it more than just a great golf course. Um, and I think as it continues to host more and more open championships, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, we're going to start to deepen our respect for Hoylake. Uh, and I think we will talk about it very much in the same way that we talk about, um, you know, places like St. Andrews and Muirfield. Um, it's got all the history, all the class, all the elegance, uh, and all the strategy of those places. But just and it's got the what... winners list, maybe the best winners list. Well, absolutely. I mean, you, you know, Tiger, Rory, uh, Hagen, Jones, Peter Thompson, Thompson. I mean. You just can't beat it. I mean, it identifies great golfers, great champions. And and at the end of the day, these, these are guys that control the ball. They, they control spin, trajectory. They're ball strikers. 
and they're smart. They, they've got mental prowess that, again, most, most people beat themselves at Hoylake. Um, but I think, I think we'll see, we'll see an amazing tournament this year. Um, and I think the golf course will, will give us everything that we want from it. Uh, it's going to be a great open championship and, and an absolutely brilliant venue. And it'll be the first of many to come, I'm sure. All right, Jasper, uh, people can find your work here. Evalue 18, that's E-V-A-L-U 18, the number 18.com. Um, and you're Evalue 18 on social media. And uh, thank you so much. We'll have to do more uh, more, more of these on uh, on different topics in the future. Brilliant. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thanks so much, Andy. It's been absolutely brilliant. Uh, thanks again for the invite and uh, spending, well, whatever your precious time was. Yeah. 50 minutes. So yeah, really look forward oh, to it. We'll, we'll your, pre- your precious time. I don't, I'm just a podcaster with nothing to do. With that, <laughs> so. know, just no, no, I appreciate it. It's, it's good. So uh, thank you so much again. Really appreciated that. It's been a, it's been a privilege. Now for a quick word from our sponsor, the USGA. While a lot of attention is paid to the USGA's biggest championships, like the U.S. Open and the U.S. Women's Open, the USGA hosts 15 championships throughout the year to provide golfers of all levels a platform to showcase their skill. This week, we had the second-ever U.S. Adaptive Open. Uh, this is on my bucket list of events to attend. This year, I was, uh, I was at the U.S. Women's Open, and I was kind of jealous of all the USGA folks that were heading out uh, back to Pinehurst to attend the Adaptive Open. Um, this is, I mean, you want to talk about growing the game. This is this is essentially growing the game, giving um, you know every type of golfer a chance of of playing for a national championship. So with the Adaptive Open, it's giving the world's best adaptive golfers an opportunity to compete. You know that is that is awesome and uh, something I support wholly. So. If you support the USGA's mission of celebrating all that, uh, the game that makes it special, uh, join the USGA, become a member. You get a bunch of things, a slew of benefits, a bag tag, a hat. Uh, you can either get the LACC or the Pebble hat, and you get, um, you know, your money's going to good causes such as um, supporting things like the Adaptive Open, their water program, all sorts of different things. The way to join is you go to usga.org slash friedegg. That's usga.org slash fried egg and uh, join today. Thanks. And now back to our episode. Hey, I don't know if I've ever asked you this, Poosh, but how, how did you get into golf? Uh, well, uh, when I was a kid in Hawaii, um, my dad played growing up. He was your typical kind of weekend shoot 110 basically just going out there on a Saturday with his buddies to drink beers and, and kind of have a good time. And, um, I would occasionally get tagged along with him just to kind of ride in the cart and hang out with the guys. And so I started to, uh, I think when I was about fourth or fifth grade, I started junior golf, uh, with kind of my group of friends that I played basketball with in the basketball season. And then when basketball ended, they were like, you should come play golf, uh, junior golf. So I said, okay. And I quickly got pretty good at it and um, could beat my dad by the time I was in like sixth grade or seventh grade and kind of through high school could usually shoot in the eighties, just um, kind of 
fairly easily without just picking it up and going and playing on the weekends. And, and then when I went to college, I just totally lost it. Didn't play in, at all in college. I'd play when I go home during the summer and Christmas and play that would, kind of when I'd play a lot. And then I, when I graduated and joined the band, I was too broke to, uh, to afford golf. So, and I lost my golf clubs, thought they were, somebody had stolen, stolen them out of my car and found them like six years later in the rafters of our house where we all lived together. So, uh, yeah, I, then I picked it back up again in like 2010 ish, 2009 and, uh, kind of a group of guys that I was with on the road, some, with some other bands, they were like, let's go play in Monterey, um, right next to the Cali Reeds festival. And, uh, there's a golf course there. I can't remember, Monterey Pines, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. And we went out to play and I just could not get the ball going at all. They couldn't get it going straight. Couldn't hit it. It was like the most embarrassing, frustrating experience, athletic experience of my life after being used to being able to just kind of pick it up and shoot like 86, 87 without, without, you know, really trying or, or doing any sort of work. And every single guy in the group was better than me. And it kind of just ignited the, uh, competitive fire in me. And from that point on, I, I got the bug. I got it really, really bad, uh, to the point where I was waking up in the middle of the night, just kind of thinking about golf. Uh, my wife was in Honolulu, uh, going to get in her master's at U- university of Hawaii. And I would be at, laying in bed at nine 30 at night. And I'd be like, I got to go hit golf balls and go down to Alawai and pound giant bucket of, you know, 150 balls or something at 11 at night sweating. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it just, the, the bug hit me really bad. It's uh, I feel like your story is a similar one to a lot of people. Like I went to college, I played a lot less golf. Um, after college, I played a lot less golf because when you're 23 and you're working, you don't have a lot of money, you <laughs> no, know, no. you don't have a lot of excess cash is what it is. I think. And then, and then when you pick it back up, it's, it's great. Uh, I think I, you know, I was, I was curious you know as you've been doing this you've had the had the bug and is there have you found any sort of relationship or similarities between the music process or any part of being a musician and being a golfer oh yeah i think there's lots of parallels that um you know obviously there's there's the obvious ones with when it comes to practice and tempo and and things like that and i think with music uh i kind of when i went went to college is when i got the music bug and it was really the guitar um, started playing the guitar. And that was like, anytime I would see a guitar, I had to pick it up and play it. And it just felt like this yearning to constantly play the guitar. Same thing happens with the golf clubs. It's like, you see a golf club lying around, you want to pick it up and just like feel it, swing it, just kind of get the, the, uh, the feel of it. And I think, you know, maybe it's says something about the personality type, but it's when it comes to music and golf, it's both, it's things that you can never master really. You can never really get to the bottom of it. There's no, there's no such thing as a perfect song or a perfect, you know, playing of the guitar or, you know, perfect golf, golf game. It's just, there's no perfect. It's just, it's all about the process and it's all about kind of cert that search, I think, and what makes it magical and what makes it fun. And it's, they're both difficult, you know, they're both kind of have a mysticism to them and, I think that's what always draws me to things of that nature. I um I hadn't thought about like the picking up thing. And I think one of the things though that's interesting about music is with golf, everybody that you're with knows when you screw up. 
But yeah. with music, like if you're you you and like the few members of your band are probably the only people that know you messed up because that, I mean that, that's like the cardinal rule in music, right? It's like if you screw up, just you just got to keep going and act like nothing happened. Yes, yes. I mean, there are times when you can't hide it. You know, you forget the <laughs> lyrics, or you know, you just straight up screw up in front of a giant crowd of people, and that's maybe you know, 10, 10 X, what it, what it feels like when you screw up a golf shot, but they're both pretty embarrassing and can, can really bring you to your knees as far as your embarrassment levels go. I don't want to dwell on this. I'm just curious. What, what's the worst screw up you've ever had on stage? <laughs> oh, dude, I can't even, there's like a bag of them, but as I was just talking about it recently, I think it was somebody on the golf course was asking me this the other day and it was, uh, we were in, there's been a couple, there was one time we played in Spokane, Washington, and then we played in Boise, Idaho in consecutive nights. And both of the venues in those cities that we were playing with are, are knitting factories. So that's a knitting factory, Boise knitting factory, Spokane, and they're both fairly similarly set up. And so I think we went from Spokane to Boise or something. And I was like, what's up Spokane? And just <laughs> like threw out a Spokane and the whole crowd just booed me. I was like, sorry. And it's like, you're trying to explain it. It's like, we were in Spokane. And, uh, you can't even do it. And, and so it's that's gotta be the, where, that's the worst. That's the nightmare, right? Where you yes. Just... Yes. Where you call it the wrong city. It's it's, and we've, I've seen it, at, you know, a number of times and it happens to the best, but it's like, you, there's nothing you can do at that point. You're like, you're kind of just fighting for your life for the rest of the show. And you're just like, every time you get a chance, you kind of have to apologize and be like, I'm sorry about that whole thing back there. Like, let's try and move forward. Um, but yeah, you know, it happens. I've done that. I did, I did a Portland, Oregon and Portland, Maine one year. And that was, and I somehow managed to like flip it into like that I did it on purpose, like <laughs> I didn't really. And at the end I got the crowd like really going, but it was, uh, <laughs> it took like a master class and like basically like freestyling, uh, psychological warfare on an entire crowd of people. I mean, it's got to <laughs> rattle you a little bit for during the performance, right? It's gotta be like oh. when, when something like shakes you out of the golf course, right, right off the bat. Okay. So I guess the golf equivalent would be like, you hit your drive in the middle of the fairway on the first hole, and then you just hit an absolute dead shank with the second shot and you hit it out of bounds. And there's like nothing. And then everyone's watching you and you're kind of just like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, what do I do? There's not, you don't know where it came from. It just, all of a sudden the, the shank just hit. And then for the rest of the show, you're kind of like on edge and, or the rest of the round, you're kind of, is it going to happen again? Is it going to happen? You're just thinking about it and you're kind of rattled. So it's kind of like the equivalent of hitting the shank, I suppose. I mentioned another thing that's similar is like if you're fighting on the creation side, right? Like the song side, mm -hmm. similar to like golf. This is something I was kind of thinking about when when I was thinking about this conversation is like, is there a certain aspect when you're writing a song like where you have to just stop trying? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's lots of times where I'll, I'll so there's a song on not this our new album, but we're there's a future release after that that we're working on. And um, we went in as a group, as the whole band to do a session and uh, it was for, for a feature with a specific artist that's kind of a big, big name artist. And so we were really trying to tailor the song to this person's style. 
and we kind of started this whole thing and we got it going, we got it going. And then we kind of stopped and we, we realized, we were like, let's, you know what, this isn't right. Let's go and try something different. So we went down an alley for like four hours and we got to the four hour point of it. And we're like, we just ran into a wall and basically had to say, this is not work. Like this isn't going to, this isn't working. So we went all the way back to the beginning thing. And then when we went back to the beginning thing, it just went. And from that point on, it took us like an hour to finish the whole song. It was awesome. And now it's, you know, we are really happy with it, but it happens all the time in music where you just kind of have to go, listen, let's just, let's just move on to something different and then come back to this and with fresh ears and with, with a fresh perspective, because sometimes you just end up spinning your wheels and it's hard to get out of that same, the same thought process. Like a lot of times with, songs there's a when you have a certain melody stuck in your head you can't unhear it or you have a certain rhythm or a certain thing you just can't get it out of your head and you can't unhear it and it's like listening to one song and then trying to sing another melody while you're while you have another song stuck in your head or or another ear, song playing in your ear it's impossible so it's one of those where you just kind of have to take a step away and then come back to it. It's kind of like golf. Like I need to take like right now for me, I've played so much golf in the last two weeks that I need to just, I'm, I'm my clubs are on the bus getting a ship or, you know, rolling back here. And it's like a blessing because I really want to hit <laughs> golf balls because I've played playing so poorly, but it's better that I just take a little week long break and step away. That's I honestly, I was, um, I mean, I, I think about this just cause like it just happened. I played nine holes. Um, this week and I hadn't played in like a week. And before that I was, I was, you know, I was driving the ball great, but I wasn't hitting great irons. Like I just was, you know, something was, I was thinking too much about the golf swing mm -hmm. and like, sure enough, I played this nine holes and I hit like a great number of great irons, like really, really high quality irons. And I was like, I kind of like got off the course and I was like, you know what? I just was swinging. I wasn't thinking about like a little bit about mechanics here. And I try and keep all those thoughts out. I try and have like one, but it was like literally like I just was doing it instead of it, it's just, it's wild how the brain and, and music is, is similar, right? Where with a golf swing, like you, it's intentional. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're very conscious. It's not, I imagine certain things have like a, a reaction aspect right but for 100%. a lot of it it's you're thinking about it yeah 100 percent. when we're on tour like we have been playing you know every night for a month or so month and a half it's becomes like muscle memory so i get up on stage and i don't it, the less i think about what i'm doing the better as soon as i start thinking about oh what's if if i think about what's the next lyric coming i that's when i'm like pan i panic and i'm like uh, and then usually it'll come. Sometimes it doesn't. Like if I'm tired or if I didn't have a good night's sleep and then we play a show and it's a song we haven't, you know, we had a couple of gigs on the last tour where it was a headline gig where we had to play 90 minutes in the middle of playing a 60 minute set every night. That was the, you know relatively the same set. And so we had to throw like, you know, six, five or six new songs in there that we hadn't been playing. And I get up on stage and I'm like in the middle of some of them, I'm like, thinking about, wait, we haven't played this song in like six months. I don't know, remember what the lyrics are. And and then it's kind of like, sometimes they come and sometimes I end up with like a, you know, doing one of those. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, 
it's it is like the golf swing where it's like if you're playing if you're playing golf swing you're not playing golf like you will almost always play worse if you're thinking about your golf swing when you're when you're playing you, you always play worse it's like when golf feels easy is when you're totally target focused and it's like you're just swinging and hitting shots and you're going like wow this is so easy you know like i'll never forget this feeling it'll it'll never leave me and then then literally the next day you can go out there and you're like trying to recreate it and as soon as you try to recreate that feel it's gone and you are thinking about the feel as more than you're thinking about just hitting the shot this is a little bit of diversion from music and golf talk but i'm just like the musician's journey, right? I feel like we're in this era of of music. Like, well, while it's easier to get discovered maybe than ever because of the, but it's harder to be like a musician than ever. Um, mm-hmm. What's it been like on just, I guess like I think about even my experience with you and where your band is now compared to like 2017, 2018 when we first knew each other like met each other and and i went to show like what's it like when you think all the way back to starting and where you were playing then and versus where you're playing now what what i mean and kind of uh, if you could do it quickly like the journey of of going from you know i'm gonna do this music thing to now where you're headlining sure it's well it started in college you know we were a proper garage band we literally started in one of my buddy's garages and then it was let's play in front of the college kids you know let's play at a house party we built stages we bought a pa it was one of those and then it was like oh we got a gig downtown we can play we can play for 100 bucks or 200 bucks or we could play for a door deal as many people will buy a ticket we get the money and then we got a gig out of town you know oh we got a you know so we kind of started it was funny because you kind of start as a technically a headliner because you're playing shows in front of college kids or a, at a bar downtown in Santa Barbara, or you're going to Hermosa beach or San Diego or whatever. And then you kind of have, to, then when you decide, okay, we want to, we want to go on a national tour, then you have to kind of start square at, you know, rung one on the ladder and it's you're opening first of three for $500 total a night, maybe. And that's enough to like pay for your gas and, you know, maybe, give you a few bucks to eat. And, you know, we were for a long time, we were in a van, we we're in a sprinter van, driving across the country doing national, you know, eight week national tours in a van in the winter with no heater, no air con. <laughs> I slept on a beanbag chair for months at a time, <laughs> a futon on top of a beanbag chair. Uh, and, you know, you're, you're the first of three. So you have, you really have no clout. You walk into a venue and you're the opener and people are like, all right, whatever, dude, like get, go stick your stuff in the corner, get off stage as fast as you can. Like you get the tiny, the tiny green room. And then if you, you know, stick with it and you keep going and you're, you know, what you do is, is good and you make it. And it's like, we started there and we started playing the tiniest venues in the country and we've done them all. And, you know, we're lucky to have, you know, got some momentum going and made some good records that, that did well. And then you kind of end up at a place where, you know, you just build, you just build, you play, then you go to theaters or you go to, you know, thousand cap venues or, you know, then you kind of go to the next thing. And then eventually you, uh, you can make it the jump off to, okay, now I can headline in an amphitheater or, um, you know, you're headlining or you're playing at big festivals and things of that nature. And I think it just, you know, it is surreal at this point. We look back and I go, you know, we play in 
a, a place like St. In, in Minneapolis or something where we played the seventh street entry, which is like next to first Ave. It's this tiny little hole in the literal hole in the wall, maybe holds 250 people. And going from there to playing, you know, first Ave to playing, you know, all these big theaters. And like you said, in Chicago, we played Shubas, for instance. Yeah. Uh, like a tiny great, little bar. Great spot. If you, that's a, a sign you're in early on a band is if you catch them at Shubas in Chicago. Yes. Lincoln yes. If you get, if you got us at Shubas, you, you pat yourself on the back and then, you know, going to playing Aragon or Northerly Island or, you know, places like that. So it is a surreal thing. And, you know, we're just lucky at, at this point to be where we are. The band has grown every year over year since we, we started. And I think we just take that as like, we're, we're not maybe the overnight, you know, sensation that some, some bands get, but we have been a slow burn and, and uh, have grown. So we just, as long as we're, we keep growing, like I'm happy with it and you no know, looking back, just keep going. Um, If you, if there were like two or three moments along the way that like just stand out as like transformative moments, what were they? Like when you think back to like you, you know, you might been like, you know what, we're making it. Yeah. I would say, I think when we put out our sample, this EP we had, and this is going to be funny, but we put, we had a song called falling that, um, it got onto it. It was the first generation of the iPhone had a game called tap tap revenge <laughs> and the the song got was like the easy mode like beginner song that you get on tap tap revenge it was like basically guitar hero for your iphone and we had already hit number one in in hawaii on the radio and we'd hit had a lot of uh had gotten a lot of you know billboard on the billboard reggae charts and all that stuff had gotten number one but then all of a sudden we got this song on tap tap revenge and it like had a second wave of millions and millions of streams and and uh it kind of helped us kind of get into the main mainstream even more uh in, across the country because pe- then people started coming out of the woodworks and our myspace really started to take off at that point <laughs> myspace which you know that was like the, the first time i remember being like whoa this is pretty cool and then we we went and played um the roxy theater in la and we sold it out and it was like that felt like, oh my gosh, we're going to make it now. You know, we're going to, you know, the Roxy's not big. It's like five, 600 people at most. And um, for that, that moment though, it felt like we're in Hollywood. We sold out a show. We're from Hawaii, for instance. Like you think about Hollywood, you're like, whoa, we've sold out a show in Hollywood. Um, those, that felt like a big moment. Um, I think it's like the first time you hear your song on the radio. Uh, that's always a big moment. Um, in Santa Barbara, we have, you got yeah, a song yeah. that's getting on the radio now. I saw. We do, morning. yeah. Uh, the new, the new. Uh, we have a new single called "Day Trip," and that's that's getting some success across the country right now. It's one of the you know top five most added songs on the, on the alt radio. So, yeah, we're putting a push behind it, and it's going well. So hopefully, it can keep going. Um, but yeah, I think it's 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 moments like that I think that are are surreal, and um, it's like it, I think it's anytime you. You play some sometimes you play these shows in New York, you sell out a show in New York, you sold out Irving Plaza. It feels bigger than maybe it really actually is because it just you think about, oh, when you're starting, you think about, oh man, if I can play a show in New York City, that would be awesome. And then you end up selling a show out there, it feels bigger, you know, because you built it up in your mind. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a ton of little moments like that, I think, you know, that have felt momentous and 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 I think we just 
you just keep rolling and hopefully they keep coming. Hey, you know, obviously a lot of people that listen to this pod are super into golf courses and they're kind of yeah. like, I have to go experience this golf course. Um, if you think yeah. about it, it's kind of like a concert venue. Like what are, what are the must, let's just say three must experience concert venues that you guys have played in or, or that you personally have seen a show in? Uh, yeah, I would say, I think mo- everyone knows about Red Rocks in Colorado. That's that's on my, to-do uh, I think list. that's a must. I think it's a must experience. If you have, you have a chance to see a band that you really care about in that environment, it's, it's pretty glorious. Um, I've actually never, I think I've ever attended a concert. I've just only played it, but, um, yeah, I'd say there, I think for me, the Santa Barbara bowl where I live is an incredible venue and an incredible place to see a show. Uh, we've been lucky enough to play it and I've seen some amazing concerts there acts that I, you know, that have really like changed my whole view on live music and, um, been lucky enough to do that. And then uh, let's see one more. That's like a really, really good one. There's some really cool places that are kind of tucked away. I think a lot of them are in uh, California, though. I think there's a lot of really great venues up here. Um, the Greek Theater in Berkeley is another one that I really love. That just has a great vibe and a great energy. You gotta go there. It, yeah, you gotta go. You gotta go. Same thing. I'm gonna buy, I'm gonna buy a ticket to some random show this or this this <laughs> month before I, uh, you know. Before I forget. Please, I, and I'm, you know, we're not playing it this year. We're doing the Frost Amphitheater at Stanford, but it's, it's a bummer because we usually do the Greek, and it's, it is really cool. That's that's awesome. So when when did you uh, when did you you start you got back into golf in like 2009 2010? Uh, when did you start? When did the club start coming on the road with you? Because I imagine space is a is a very um, precious commodity when you're on tour. Yeah, I think it was I think it was pretty early. Um I think it might have been like 2013 or 14 we brought the clubs and we just I think we may have even still been been in a van when we brought the clubs and they just got shoved into the back of a the trailer and they'd have to get like moved every time somebody had to unload or load the trailer. Um but we would only play once or twice on tour really, you know, on the days off and it wasn't uh, a crazy thing and then I think somewhere around 2016 or 2017 is when they really started to roll. We were in the in a bus. It there's space in the bays, and it was just became one of the bays just got deemed sports bay, and it was just like like we had guys in our band bringing surfboards on the road, which is like literally huge. so they could surf. Yeah, which are huge just to surf like one day or two days when we get to Florida or North Carolina, and we're like, dude, you guys come on, like just rent a surfboard when you get there. It's not like you guys are getting good swell. It's just, so yeah, the club started rolling and then now it's, you know, at the point where almost, you know, our keyboard player brings his club. It used to be, we had, we, you know, we have two guys on the crew that play. And so a lot of guys are, you know, playing golf on, on the road. And and this last tour, we had guys in all the bands that were playing. So it was pretty cool. We had a couple of days where we had three group, three, you know, four balls, you know, like 10, 12 people playing golf on the days off, which is great. I think the last time I was at a show of yours and we were hanging out after you were talking about how many of guys in the band start have started to play. Cause it, originally it was just you and Micah Brown that were playing. Yes. Yeah. And like, what, how did that, how did that become kind of a band activity? Well, I think uh, what happened is um, when Harry Arnett was at Callaway, uh, 
I think he and his family were had been fans, and there was a bunch of guys that worked at Callaway at the time that were fans of the band, and we got invited to do Callaway Live uh, when they were doing that kind of live show, and we did it, and we played a, a live acoustic show in at Callaway uh, headquarters, and um part of the deal was like listen we don't have we're not gonna like can't pay you guys to do this but we can get you guys you know golf clubs and you you can get fitted and do this whole thing and so we went down there and everybody got fitted even you know all the guys in the band that don't even play our you know our drummer our bass player that you know they dabble but they don't really play and so everybody got fully kitted out with you know custom callaway fitted golf clubs and and everything and so i think that kind of kicked it off for some of them and then uh as we went we did it again and so uh, when we did it again uh the callaway live harry was basically like listen you guys are callaway lifers now so thank you guys and you know if you ever need anything here we go so then we started going to top golf that was another thing was the top golf um and this is another not an callaway, callaway but it, yeah. it is but <laughs> it, it actually it actually got one of our keep or our, our lighting director got the bug super bad from going to top golf and then so you know we got him some clubs and uh he's become one of the golf guys now and so i think it's just you know it, it's all facets of you know i think uh, i think the big thing is is the hardest thing is getting golf clubs right because they're expensive and most people if they're not a they're not really into golf are not going to spend you know two thousand plus dollars on golf clubs and so i think when the first thing was getting them the clubs and then that kind of opened the door for them to, to really kind of get further into the game. I, I imagine it's gotta be tricky. It was, it was almost easier when there was just two players like you get, I mean, so we'll get into the latest tour and, and some of the golf on it, but like, how do you guys, you know, decide whether it's an all band golf day versus, Hey, I got this great invite. There's only a couple spots, you know? <laughs> well, I think Micah Brown and I kind of get we because we are the the golf the kind of golf nerds of the group that and kind of the lifers that we get the priority if there's a you know a special invitation on the on the books. I think a few years ago we got uh asked to do the Pebble Beach Pro Am pairings dinner and it was the same kind of deal. They're like, listen, we can't pay you a lot of money, but we can get you out to Cypress Point. And Pebble, you can play Cypress and Pebble Beach. And so we're like, and I, I took a, like a sell to the other guys. I'm like, cause they're not golfers. I'm like, listen, like you guys, we, we want to do this. You want to go up there? It's a couple of days in, you know, in Monterey and Carmel, like you can chill and you guys can do whatever you get access. You know, there's wine, there's all kinds of things. And so the other guys were like, yeah, sure. Whatever. We're not doing anything. Let's go. So, uh, He's like, listen, I can only get two of you out to Cypress Point. The other two will get you out to, to Spyglass. No, no small constellation. But so Micah Brown and I obviously were the ones that went to Cypress Point. Um, our our LD and our tour manager, Colin, went to Spyglass and had a great day. You know, yeah, no, no one, no one got hurt, but it was yeah. like you know. Well, every, I mean, like Spyglass is a very nice constellation for free golf. You know, free yes, golf, yes, free golf's great anywhere, and and Spyglass is a great, great free golf place. Yes, and then with the next day we got to play Pebble, all four of us, and it was a great. Day. Well, the funny thing was that we we had we went out the night before after you know we played the concert at the parents' dinner, we went to the tap room, uh, the. Johnny Thompson put the Callaway 
card down for us at the bar. He said, you know what, guys, it's time. Put the company card down. So some of the guys had a few too many to drink at the tap room. And so the first we're on the first tee at Pebble Beach. And my our tour manager, Colin, literally vomited on the first tee <laughs> at Pebble Beach hungover. We were the first tee time out, like 7.30, in the, 7 in the morning, whatever it was. He was hurting. And we we just got on the first tee box. We were late, first of all. We were hitting ball balls. And they're like, you guys are on the tee. We're like, where is it? They're like, it's like, you got to get a shuttle down to the where the... So we go all the way down. We get there. We're, you know, we're already late. And we just walk into the first tee, what we think is the first tee. We don't, I didn't realize that there was an amateur tee box that was like 40 yards up. We just got on the first tee and we, we didn't realize till the third hole that we were playing from the pro tee boxes. <laughs> <laughs> we're just like, you know what? Let's, let's just go. Let's just go with it and keep playing from back here. And uh, it was awesome. But I mean, those are the, you know, obviously those are kind of the experiences that, that happen. And, uh, that we're lucky enough to you know, experience. I, I imagine that's helped with like just camaraderie with the band, right? Yeah, for sure. I think, and it, it keeps everyone sane. I think it's like getting off the tour bus. It it really, you know, killing four hours, five hours plus where you're, you're, you can get out in nature. You can get out of the bus, get some exercise, get some sun, and, uh, you know, you can, honestly, you see parts of the, the cities that we're in that you don't normally see because normally we're like right in the heart of the downtown area or something like that where or you're stuck around where the amphitheater is where you're not really venturing out too far away. And we get to go see kind of what the actual, you know, na- the the site is, you know, what where, what does it look like? What is the flora? What's the fauna? What are the, the beauty of the area? And I think, you know, we've been lucky to see some really incredible places. It's funny. I I have like the opposite thing when I go, if I go, you know, I was recently on like a 17 day trip and, and and like, it's like sun up to sundown golf. Right. Yeah. Um, Like very early mornings to shoot. And what I've found in this, like in doing this for years, and this is probably going to be a little sacrilegious to say on this podcast, but like what I crave is moments away from golf on those like you know and what you're saying is golf's your kind of departure from the tour bus and and music all the time right it's like if i can just like if i can get like a night where i go have a nice meal in the sit in a city that i haven't spent a lot of time in and get to see the city and feel like i'm like part of society and not just Mm -hmm. this like golf bubble it makes me like i feel rejuvenated the next day (laughs) like i like you know it's not it's not definitely not Groundhog Day and I'm not, not this is not a complaint, but I've just I've just noticed that like you have to have balance. Like and I imagine like you love music, you know, it's not like you you get you're doing what you love. But the golf provides the balance on a on a really heavy trip if it, if you didn't have the balance. It's yeah, 100 percent. It's all about balance. It's all about finding ways to not be stuck and not feel like the thing that you love is a job. I think that, you know, when you're on tour, it is, it is hard. Like you're Away every day. It's, it is ground. You're, yeah. And you're in a different city every single day. So it's, you're on a tour bus first and foremost with a bunch of dudes that, you know, <laughs> listen, we're, we're friends. We've known each other for a long time, but it's like at the four or five week point, you're like, I didn't really like, you know, we didn't sign up to like be married to each other and we were like <laughs> really close and, you know, you're just around each other nonstop and you have to deal with everyone's ticks and everyone's little 
things that they, you know, they have. And, you know, it's just, that's normal. I mean, it, but that's you know, a, it's a good way to keep even those relationships balanced because we just like get our like space apart. We go, listen, we're going to go play golf. We're going to hang out with some different people and uh, we'll come back and we'll, we'll be, our energy will be gone. We'll be and you have all new that. stuff to talk about. Like everybody totally. goes to do the thing and you got something to talk about. Yeah. He's like, listen, we ran into this guy. We saw this, you know, you know, this happened. It's just a different, you know, you get, and you get to talking to different people, you know, it's nice, you know, different perspective. So let's talk about your latest tour. You just, uh, you're done. Uh, and you played a ton of golf. Um, what, what were the, like, did I, at one point you had it tabulated on a certain stretch. How long was the tour? Do you know how many of, how many rounds you played on the tour? Ooh, I don't know exactly. I mean, I could roughly tabulate it, but I think we started on June. We started on June first, um, or actually, I started, yeah, June first. I, I started on day one in Austin. I played a played golf <laughs> first day, Barton Creek, uh, with some of the no lane up guys. We did a a little a video that's will be coming out in a, in a while, but um, played there. Played in Dallas. Played uh, did not play in Houston was thought about it played in new orleans played in i played the park in west palm beach uh played the dive uh dive valley at tpc sawgrass um then went up the coast played got to play it's i'm gonna forget i'm definitely gonna forget but there was a stretch where i did played let's see peach tree gaiman's hall wilmington muni um then went to the next week did a, a, a where I played Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, skip Saturday in Chicago, but played Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then I played Wednesday and actually played. I think I played Thursday and Friday as well. I think I played Friday. So played Friday in Portland, Maine. No, I played Thursday and Friday. So I played almost every day for like two weeks straight, which was including the shows, which was a lot. And that's why now I'm like, okay, I think I'm ready to to take a break. But yeah, I mean, I played some, some really incredible places on the tour. Super lucky. Um, Fox chapel in Pittsburgh was great. It was really a place that I, I love to play. Um, winged foot, you know, not, I'm not trying to like name drop <laughs> no. clubs, but it's like, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I listen to this and I'm like, man, I should just, I should just come on a tour and, uh, and, and I'll just go play golf every day because it'll get me to all these places that I need to get to. Like my problem is I have so many places to go and you go and it's like, well, I need more days in this town because there's seven other courses I want to see. I, I just saw three. And it was like, like, I just did, I did a week in, in New York area and we had, you know, we had an event that took up two days, but like I was there for a week and I saw a, cor- a new course every day. And I was like, I I need seven more days. And then I would have been there for seven more days. But then, you know, listening to you, it's like, oh man, like you just, you're going, you get it. You got to see new places all the time. It's, it, I mean, it's an amazing thing. How how do you manage? Do you get tired? I mean, I imagine that. The, the, I mean, golf and, and concerts don't really. The hours don't jive well. It's it's funny because I we, we have a buddy that's in one of the other bands, Jeff, that's in the Expendables, and he's a golfer. And I would the first one, the first year is that, yo, you want to come play at, you know, some place? And he's like, wait, you're playing the day of the show? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, man, like. He's like, I was like, we're playing an hour, man. It's not, I like, you know, I can take a nap. It's later in the evening. Like, he's like, no, no, I can't do that. He's like, I get way too tired. I was like, 
okay. Like I played, you know, I, it doesn't, I guess it's like, I have an, an extra, a golf like fuel tank. And then there's like the music fuel tank. It's like, as long as I get like rehydrated and can maybe lay down for 25 minutes, 30 minutes, I'm pretty good. But a lot of times I just carry it through and it feels like the same thing. And then, you know, you sleep well at the end of the night. It's easy to fall asleep. I'm a, I got to throw in that we we played at Canterbury because I want I want to make sure because I know you're we, a friend of yours is Andrew Bailey that you introduced me to and we've become friends as well. Uh, and Matt Considine and we Micah Brown and I Team Brownie we took them took them down at uh at Canterbury. So I just wanted to make sure I got that out there into the universe so that those guys will be extra hurt. That's a good scalp, you know. It's <laughs> a good scalp. When you take down a top mid am player and a and a plus two plus handicaps, it's a it's a good scalp day. Especially at his home course, that that course yes. is like built for his game too. It's like, yeah, you know, it was those are the but those you know I think the the main thing is like outside of the the courses that we get to play, which are incredible. I've gotten to play incredible courses all over the country. It's it's mostly about like the people that we've met. They're all, I, I say this all the time, but I don't think I've met more than like maybe one or two people that I genuinely just didn't get along with. And it's like, they weren't even like the, maybe they were just maybe a random other person that was added to the group. It's like almost everyone that I end up meeting in the golf world or getting playing golf with are like genuinely nice, cool people that we, I end up like seeing over and over again as I come back and playing golf with. Well, I think there's, I think there's like, if you dial in on it, right? Like your, your, your style of music is very welcoming, right? And then you factor in a, a person that like wants to invite you, right? And, and, and welcome you. Like there's like a double welcoming barrier, right? <laughs> like the music, doctor, like, doctor. Yeah, like the music itself, it, like lends itself probably to somebody that's that's fairly relaxed, right? Yeah, and then and yeah, then there's another relaxed. layer of yeah. I mean, I'm sure. Is, <laughs> I get what you're going. I get what you're going with that. What's the pet peeve at a concert? Of like, what's the worst thing somebody can do at a concert? And then what's your pet peeve on a golf course? Pet peeve at a concert is somebody that's in the front row that just mean mugs you the whole set. Doesn't. <laughs> But they just stand like we have it all the time where it's someone they get in the front row and then they just stare at you like this. And like they don't like they don't like why why are you in the front row? Like there's somebody that probably once would love to be there that knows the words to the song that would enjoy it. Like if you don't it, that just, you know, it's like why? Like so a lot of times when that happens, I'll just I'll. And, it, you know, as much as it's it's one of those things, it's like you only you read YouTube and you see the negative comments out of, you know, you're the one negative comment out of the hundred that are positive. But there's, all these people are enjoying the show. But then there's one person that you just kind of zone in on and you're looking at them going like, what is why? Why are you here? Like, why are you doing this? And then for me, I end up just kind of focusing on them like the whole set and just looking right at them and kind of being like you know, are, what, are you going to do something? Are you here? You're for, like, like trying, what? trying to get them to react. <laughs> yeah. Like whether positive or negative, I just want to see something. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then, uh, pet peeve on the golf course. Oh, I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty laissez faire on the golf course. I think it's like, for me, I think obviously it's just slow. It's gotta be just slow play. And I think it's, I, we, I have some buddies that I do play with that are slow and we just give them like, 
incredible amounts of shit and being like, listen, dude, like the fourth practice swing or like the fourth regrip, just it's not doing you any not doing anything for you. Like you're a good enough player. You don't need it. All right. Uh, last question. We'll get you out of here on this. Uh, I um, It's a two part question. Has has a has a stop on a tour ever been added because of golf? like a city or a venue and B what would be the dream golf tour? Like you're, you can craft, you could craft a tour anywhere. Where would it go? Like for, it could be any duration of time, but those are the two questions. Okay. So the first question there hasn't, I don't know if there's been a, a date that's been added specifically for golf, but there have been days off that have been specifically added for golf. And it's, like the manager will be like, or the agent will be like, listen, you have a day off here. We could pick up a show in like Delaware and we're like, or whatever it is. And you're like, eh. we had the day off and it's after Philadelphia and we got offered to play Pine Valley or something like that. And you're going, no dog, like we're staying, <laughs> we're, we're going to Philly. Like we're, we're not going over wherever else, you know, to the next place. And um, so yeah, there's been, a, there's definitely been a lot of those and like, you know, or we have a lot of times we're driving in between. So this is a good one. We, we're driving from, uh, Kansas city to Denver and it's, a, you can't do it in one, in one leg cause it's just too far. So the bus has to stop somewhere in Kansas, in the middle of Kansas. So the, the we're looking at the map and I'm going, well, Hutchinson, Kansas is not super far outside of kansas city but at least gets us enough far enough to that the next leg we can make it to denver so i convinced every like the rest of our band to stop in Hutchinson because there's like there's a burger place with like i think there's a burger and milkshake place there i was like listen great burger milkshake you guys can go get burgers and milkshake <laughs> i read about it guys are like, it's yeah. great <laughs> like it's it's world renowned but i'm like listen dude like you it, it's not gonna be any different from any of these other places that are in the middle of Kansas, right? Like, no offense. I love Kansas. My mom's from Kansas, but in the down in the middle of the plains, it's just all tiny little towns. So we might as well go to Hutchinson. So I can play prairie, we can play prairie dunes. Uh we ended up going there and getting rained out anyway. So it was kind of a bummer, but uh, you know, but those are the kind of things. And then as far you as trying the golf to manipulate you tried to manipulate it, it didn't happen naturally. Uh, well, I yeah, exactly. And the, the storm got us, but um I think as far as like a golf, a golf tour goes, I think it's kind of in the works right now. And honestly, we're trying to get down to uh, Australia, New Zealand. Um, we've been trying for a while, before, you know, during COVID, obviously that kind of put the kibosh on it, but trying to get down there. And if we can get down there, then I can, I think it's self-explanatory. The, you know, the, uh, the kind of circuit that could, could happen down there. So that would be my dream. I think is that's one of my top places that I'd like to see. Um, otherwise, it's like you know, I pretty much am on the the dream golf tour because we hit all the places that you know there are golf for the most part. That's the uh, the the thing. I do you do you know? Do you have like a big listenership down there? And that's what, like, do you do you look at numbers? And it's like, well, we could go and have a tour, a successful tour. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like create. It's not as obviously as big as we we have in the United States. But I think that's why you know you push for you know these songs on the radio and things because that those are the kind of things that can really spread the listenership uh, into Europe and 
uh, we do have a, you know, we have a sizable listenership in New Zealand and Australia and South America. So I think that's where the next target is before we end up going to Europe, but um, you never know. And, you know, we'll just keep, keep trying and keep, keep pressing. And hopefully eventually we end up with, you know, being able to go to both and then, uh, you know, can sneak in the, the Scotland and the Ireland and the England golf tour. I know that's, I was wondering if that was like, you know, all along the Scotland, Scottish coast. Yeah. Well, I mean, Scotland is the reason why I discovered the fried egg because when I first booked, uh, my wife and I decided to go to Scotland. She's Scottish. So we decided to go to Scotland for the first time in 2016. I was just in the midst of, as when I, that was really what piqued my interest in golf architecture was the trip to Scotland when I started trying to plan my itinerary for the first time I went. And so I was trying to find anything to do with golf, anything to do with golf architecture. And I came upon you, you on Twitter. And uh, there was a number of other ones. I think it was like, you know, the Scottish golf podcast when that was a thing with Rue McDonald, who's mm -hmm. I've been able, lucky enough to play a couple of matches against in some cool places over there in Cruden Bay and Brora. Uh, and then obviously like Nolan up and all the other guys that I've kind of become friends with. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's really what kind of kicked it off was that initial trip to Scotland and just wanted to get that in there because, you know, that I, I would like to think of myself as an early adapter to the fried egg as well an early fan i mean we're talking 2015 here so i don't even know when that's pretty early i think that's that was first year so yeah yeah See? very very early i i remember i remember when you followed us i was like oh look a musician <laughs> and then i started listening to the music so that's uh people can find you your your band is called iration it's on spotify um you're you're very active on social uh media you have Micah Iration at Micah Iration on uh, on Instagram, and then Push Push Daddy on uh, on Twitter, which is just a great handle. <laughs> Could you not get Push Daddy on Instagram too? I think I, I think I did have Push Daddy, and then I think everyone in my band was just doing their name and Iration, so I just did that. Um, I had to drop Mister Skittles for Andy TFE, so I know how it feels. Well, I think, in, and now it's like Courtney Kardashian or somebody. One of the Kardashians is like started a brand called Poosh, and I'm like, oh god, I'm starting to feel like, am I going to get like somehow looped into the Kardashian thing? I don't know. I hope not, but yeah, we'll but, see. Uh, you know, it could they might might have wanted to buy it eventually off you? You know, that's I think that's what I'm banking on at this point. All right, uh, Micah, thanks so much for coming on, and uh, I hope uh, I hope you get some new listeners uh, from it, and uh, you know, and uh, look forward to seeing you sometime soon. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode was produced by Matt Ruches. Thank you, Matt. Matt's also been killing it on the Instagram channel. Go check that out if you don't. Um, but, hey, quick reminder, Club TFE is humming. We had two course profiles go up this week. We had Plainfield Country Club and Valera Country Club. Next week, I, uh, I'm scheduling in a North Barrack post. So these profiles, we are going deep on golf courses. If you are interested in great 
photography and you know i i do not like to give myself compliments so i'm going to say mediocre writing about golf from me great writing from garrett mediocre writing about golf courses for me um go check it out it, it's 120 dollars for the year it supports so much stuff that we do i um i can't emphasize that enough uh it helps us continue to grow which we want to keep doing we want to keep doing more and um, this is a great avenue for us to be able to do more. So it's uh, go to thefriedegg.com. Right across the top, there's a, a bar that says Join Club TFE. And it's $120 for the year. Uh, it, your year starts the day you join. So it's not like at the end of the year, you got to pay more. It, year starts at the, uh, the day you join. And at this point, we're 26 or so um course profiles in so there's a lot of stuff to catch up on if you haven't um been a member you lots of stuff to read we have all these cool member videos we have a ton ton of stuff in there it it is um a copious amount of content so thank you and we'll be back with a bunch of pods this week and uh yeah thanks for the support